0: Please take a seat. And can I invite you to return to Exodus chapter 4 on page 47 of the church Bibles. We uh, read Moses' objections to God's calling on his life and we're just going to pick the reading up where we left off from verse 18. But before we do that, let me pray for us and for God's help as we come to his word. Father, you reveal yourself to us in the book of Exodus. Your character, your power, your desire to save. Please help us to know you better this evening. Not just interesting facts about an ancient book, but you, the personal God, who wants us to know you rightly so that we might relate to you properly. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 4 and from verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, "'Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive.' And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and put them on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. I think we all have times, like Moses, when it's hard to believe that God is really going to go with us. I think we're all tempted from time to time to think that he's asking too much of us. Just consider the Christian life. God calls us to make every effort to be like Jesus, living virtuous lives, adding knowledge of his word, learning self-control, staying steadfast in the faith. He calls us to be godly, to love Christians with a sincere brotherly love, to be characterized by love. We're called to serve, to pray without ceasing, to give our money cheerfully, to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for the reason for the hope that is in us. We're called to share our faith with others. We're called to deny ourselves, to consider others more significant than ourselves, to pick up our cross and listen and follow Jesus' hard teaching about costly, sacrificial discipleship. God calls us to do some really hard things. And when confronted with that list and maybe overwhelmed by the enormity of some of those callings, desperately aware of our own limitations, we can doubt whether God will be true to his promises to always be with us and help us and empower us in the Christian life. Sometimes when God calls us, We'd much rather not pick up the phone. And Exodus is teaching us that in these situations, we have to remember who God is. That's arguably what the whole book of Exodus is about. God reveals himself truly so that we might serve him properly. And tonight, I trust that we will appreciate afresh a number of truths about God that give us confidence to serve him and do difficult things for him. Lots of chapters 3 and 4 work as a a conversation between God and Moses. Hopefully you can see that on the outline and that can help us. Uh, We'll consider our chapter, and we won't cover everything because of time, but we'll consider it under two headings. The Lord who saves through an unlikely rescuer, And secondly, the Lord, the Creator, who patiently provides in our weakness. So firstly, the the Lord who saves through an unlikely rescuer. Uh, Last week we looked at chapter 3, and it was big. God has just introduced himself by name. Showing himself to be the the timeless, eternally faithful, mighty to save God. He tells Moses that he has heard his people's suffering and has come down to rescue them. And he's going to use Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt and to the promised land. How does Moses respond to God's seismic, supernatural self-revelation? right there in, in verse one, what if they don't believe me? Ah, what if the elders and the people of Israel don't listen to my voice? Sure, I get from chapter three, it doesn't matter so much who I am. Fine, I even know a little bit about how, who you are, God. But what if they come back at me and say, nope, you didn't talk to God? I can kind of sympathize with Moses and this would be a reasonable question if the God who can supernaturally speak through a fiery plant hadn't already said back in chapter 3 verse 18 and they will listen to your voice. God tells Moses go to the elders and they'll listen and Moses's reply what if they don't? I don't know about you but for me, this, this sounds like a, a familiar refrain, maybe one that plays on repeat in our heads whenever you hear of another guest event that the church is running. When you think of the people in your life who you've been called to study or work or live alongside who don't know Jesus, they, they won't listen to me. What's the point? Uh, sometimes we're called to have Hard conversations with fellow Christians about sinful attitudes or unwise choices. They won't listen to me. What's the point? Despite all we know about God, despite all God says about how He will be with us always until the end of the age, as you go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all I have commanded you, they won't listen to me. So what's the point? In verse 10, Moses presents the the specific problem. Verse 10 says, I'm not good at speaking. Again, I'm sure we can understand Moses' shyness and reticence. A diplomatic mission like this would involve a lot of high-pressure speaking. He's going before the most powerful man in the most important and impressive kingdom on the earth. We can understand him feeling a little unqualified. Many have discussed and debated what exactly Moses meant. Some say Moses is being modest and polite. Others say it's honest self-doubt while others say he's just making excuses. It's really interesting what verse 10 says, though, isn't it? Because verse 10 says, I am not eloquent. And then he says, I am slow of speech uh, and of tongue. Is Moses worried about language difficulties? Moses didn't grow up among the Israelites. He grew up in Pharaoh's household, so maybe his Hebrew wasn't great besides he's been in Midian for the last 40 years maybe it was the opposite and he thought how am I going to speak Egyptian to Pharaoh I've been in Midian for half my life I I can 100% identify with this half my life in Peru half of it in Scotland but the latter half of it and all my higher education in English I feel like my Spanish is so rusty I've actually been asked to preach in a a Spanish-speaking church a a number of times. I've said no three times. Perhaps Moses had a a genuine medical, physical speech impediment. Maybe maybe there was something wrong with the way he said his words or something about his voice, like a stammer. Lots of people think that. In the end, we, we can't be sure And maybe that's God's way of saying I'm not going to specify one kind of infirmity. This is applicable to any sort of reality or or perception you may have of weakness. I think that Moses really believed he had a problem with his speech and whether it was medically diagnosable or not His response to God's call was, Lord, I can't do this. You're giving me a a job that is chiefly to go and speak, to speak to the Israelites, to the elders, and to the most important man on earth. I am not good at speaking. I am not gifted in this way. I'm not gifted. I challenge myself with this before I challenge anyone else. But I wonder how often you or I have used, I'm not gifted in that area uh, as an excuse because we just don't want to grow or serve or because we find whatever it is we're doing, like sharing our faith, too uncomfortable and difficult. I think this is perhaps what's going on with Moses because if you cast your eyes down to verse 13, Moses goes on to say, Uh, I won't. We get to the real heart of the matter. Moses doesn't want to go. Uh, By this point, God has told Moses three times to go. Chapter 3, verse 16. Chapter 3, verse 18. And now in chapter 4, verse 12. Now, therefore, go. Three times. Three times the creator and ruler of the universe tells Moses, go. And verse 13, we read, but he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. I hear you, Lord. I I love that plan. Send him, send someone else. And uh, Notice what Moses is doing, and we'll have to, to, to look at our text for this. Moses, you, you recall, has already asked the Lord in the previous chapter, who are you? And remember, God replied, I am who I am. God revealed his name to Moses, Yahweh. And when that name is used, it shows up in our Bibles with capital letters as Lord. But notice it in verse 10 Moses says oh my Lord not in all caps then in verse 11 then the Lord Yahweh said to him verse 13 Moses is speaking again oh my Lord not capital letters Moses may have had the knowledge of the Lord revealed to him but he had forgotten it quickly or He doesn't want to admit exactly who this God is, whom he now thinks is incapable of fulfilling his purposes through him. Uh, Moses doesn't really come out of these chapters well. Uh, His cowardice is all the greater when we remember all that he has just had revealed to him. Few men in history have had such a prolonged question and answer session with the living God himself. Few have received such a, a clear and personal promise of divine assistance. Despite that, Moses is at best reluctant and at worst disobedient. And the cumulative effect, if we were to read chapters 3 and 4 in a one is that we, we doubt not just Moses' confidence and ability, but also his willingness to do what his Lord has for him. Uh, further evidence of Moses' personal inability to deliver God's people is found in that confusing incident in verses 24 through to 26. Why don't we read them again? So from verse 24, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. If you're the type to read the sermon passage in advance and make notes and write down your questions in the hope that you'll get a watertight, completely confident interpretation of what's going on in these verses, then you're about to be disappointed. Uh, These are are three of the weirdest and most difficult verses in the Bible. Uh, There's so much we don't know let me just list a a few of them. We we don't know who God attacked. We don't know how God was about to kill him. We don't know why exactly God was about to kill him. We don't know how Zipporah knew exactly what to do. We don't know why Moses' son was uncircumcised. Uh, we don't know if Zipporah's words were said in love or in anger. There, there's a lot we, we don't know, and whenever the Bible is ambiguous, it's best not to make major points based on the ambiguous stuff. But, but what is clear is that Moses had not been faithful to keep God's covenant, and he needed rescued. Moses had not been faithful and he needed rescued. Back in Genesis 17, God said, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Moses, and perhaps his son, was in danger of having a very short trip back to Egypt. Uh, God's anger we are told, is kindled against Moses because although the exodus may have been a job for someone with a speech impediment, it was not a job for someone with an obedience impediment. Okay, Moses, you're, you're not good at speaking. You're not good in front of people. You're not confident. You've got a dodgy past. I can handle all of that. But if you're not a person of integrity, Uh, then I guess I'll find somebody else. Uh, Ultimately, Moses, the rescuer, needed rescued. And so do you see why we can call Moses an an unlikely rescuer, an unlikely savior? The big question for us should be why are Moses' weaknesses recorded? Well, well, they ensure that we read on in Exodus, sure in the knowledge that the real ac- uh, hero of the account is not Moses, but God. God is the hero of the story in Exodus. He will rescue his people despite Moses' weaknesses. We're meant to come away praising God for his power and willingness to save, to powerfully use, pretty powerless individual. Although Moses is the means by which God will save his people, Moses himself isn't the hero. Salvation is entirely the work of God, to the glory of God. And we see all of this so clearly in God's responses to Moses he he beautifully redirects our confidence from self to himself the Lord who is patient with us our maker who provides in our weakness and that's our, our second point We saw back in in chapter 4, verse 1, that Moses wants to know that his ministry will be authenticated. He wants further confirmation of his call. He wants to be sure that God is really with him. And so, God provides. God gives him three signs in verses 2 through to 9. He turns a staff into a serpent, makes a hand leprous, and turns water into blood. As well as being a a trailer for what's coming in the next 11 chapters to convince Pharaoh to let Israel go, All, all three signs hint at the superiority of the Lord over Egypt. This is a big theme in Exodus. The Lord is more powerful than Pharaoh and the pantheon of Egyptian gods with snake heads and the Nile. It's as if God is saying, look, Moses. I know what I'm doing, and Egypt is no match for me." Uh, Did you notice that all three signs involved God taking something pretty ordinary and using it for extraordinary purposes? What's so special about a stick, a hand, and some water? You want some proof, Moses? What's in your hand? A stick that'll do. God can do amazing things, even with a stick. And this section is here to teach us something about God. These, these signs were for the elders of Israel, but also for Moses. As, it's as if God is saying to Moses, look Moses, if I can do this with a stick, what makes you think I can't use you? Uh, Many of us consider the the Christian life and and what it involves and what sharing our faith involves, and we think, I don't know, I don't have all these gifts, I don't look like these people, I can't speak like that other person, what am I going to do? Are you sure you've got the right person? Maybe some of us are thinking, uh, you don't know who I am. Where I've been and and what I've done. All I want is for God to save me, keep me out of trouble, and get me into heaven. That's all I want. You think God can't use you? He uses water and sticks. He speaks through a donkey if he has to. He he finds a way. Uh, Sometimes we think ourselves, you know what, God, I, I would really trust you If you could just give me some signs, I'd really follow you. I'd be really earnest if you did some of those miracles like the ones Moses got. But but miraculous signs are only as good as the eyes that see them and the hearts that receive them. You can see a, a whole bunch of stuff. And if your heart doesn't want to believe, it will find reasons not to. There are a whole bunch of signs which scream, look at Jesus, trust in Jesus. Uh, The surest of those signs is the the empty tomb. Did you know that the, the risen Jesus appeared to over 500 people? So many people, all sorts of people who said, I saw him, I saw him, I saw him die, And then I saw him alive again. Most of the people who came into contact with Jesus and and, and saw the, the signs of his power still didn't believe. If we cannot be convinced, is it a lack of signs or our own unwillingness to believe? Have you considered that this story is true? Not just Moses, though that's true. What about the the empty tomb? If you've got other doubts or other things that you're not sure of, maybe you've got biblical ethics that you don't agree with, or a lot of Christians in your life that annoy you. Set that all aside just for a moment and, and think about this. Did Jesus come back to life? Is that sign true? There were witnesses It's recorded. There was evidence. Do you believe it? If you do, it authenticates the apostolic messengers who wrote this down. It authenticates their message. It authenticates that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And here's the good news. If you accept the empty tomb, you also can be rescued. Rescued from God's righteous anger because our sin separates us from relationship with him. How does God respond to, to Moses' second objection that we looked at? His I can't. Well, we've got it there in, in verse 11. Okay, Moses, there's something not right with your mouth. What is it? You don't form words correctly. You're stammering with a lisp. Moses, I made you that way. God put Moses' DNA together. God made your mouth. God gave you that hair or lack thereof. God gave you that limitation, that weakness. Sure, things are Now, not how they're supposed to be or or the way they will be in glory, but in a very real way, God gave you that weakness just like he did to Moses. Not to punish you, but because he loves you and you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, God goes on to say in, in verse 12, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. I am with you. I will be strong in your weakness. Uh, This is the point that's made in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, We read, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I hope we get the, the idea. Jars of clay are pretty weak and fragile and unimpressive. They were in Paul's illustration in the first century. Apologies to any amateur potters. I'm sure you make lovely, lovely jars of clay. Paul wanted it to be absolutely clear to everyone that the incomparable power to save people and change their eternity doesn't come from us, but from God himself. The Lord wants to say to us, as he said to Moses, I made you. I will be with you. I get the glory when you have weakness and I am strong. I don't know about you, but there are days when I feel good for nothing. And you might feel similarly. But it's good enough for God to use because he made you. He will be with you. He has a plan for you. He loves you in Christ. Don't say, I can't, because God can. And finally, we can see God's response to to Moses' I won't. Please send somebody else. And we see it there in in verse 14. tells us that the Lord's anger was kindled against Moses. Moses will will later write in chapter 34 that God is slow to anger, and surely he was slow to anger as Moses went through objection after objection and excuse after excuse, but now finally on the fifth time the Lord is angry with Moses. But notice that God is merciful to provide even to this whining prophet. God says, okay, I will give you Aaron, your older brother. He's good at speaking to people. I'll give you the message. You give it to him, and then he'll go and speak. I love how one of the commentators, a guy Phil Reichen, put it in his commentary. God isn't looking for an orator, just a reporter. Moses didn't have to be an orator with all the rhetorical gifts of a wartime Churchill or Barack Obama in his prime. Just report what happened. Uh, Can you be a, a reporter? Tell people what God has done in your life, and even more importantly, tell them what God has done in the world to create it. To save sinners in it. To send his son into it and die for those sinners. To be raised on the third day and come again. Can you bear witness to that? Not as an orator, just as a reporter. And so as we draw all these thoughts together, what what really matters in the life of faith? Your gifts Or the Lord's help? Human ability? Or divine assistance? Will you serve God with whatever he's given you? Of course, this story about Moses isn't the last story in the Bible about a royal prince who left a palace to go on a seemingly impossible rescue mission. But if you know the other story, you know it's about a royal son who, who didn't say no. The Lord Jesus Christ, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but took upon himself the form of a servant to be made in human flesh and to become obedient even to death and death on a cross. That The son did not say no. Just picture him in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, pleading with his heavenly Father. Is there another way? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, the most important thing you can do with all your gifts and opportunities and weaknesses and impediments and obstacles is to worship and serve the one who said yes to his father in the garden. This is the God who saves through the weakness and foolishness of the cross and who can say to his apostle, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Let's pray. Father, please reorient our confidence from ourselves to you. Through our study of the book of Exodus, please enlarge our view of you, the great I am. Thank you that you are with us in our weakness. You provide every spiritual blessing to live for you. Thank you that you are patient when we are cowardly. Help us to be confident that you are mighty and determined to save. In Jesus' name, amen.